0: rolled off the table (laughs) (laughs) one
1: a one the topic we'll be discussing today guys is how do you balance levity action and drama in your games this was a topic added by tim saucer way back in episode 51
2: Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. I'm Andy Rao. And this week we are joined by Laura. Hi, Laura.
0: Hi there. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, So, Laura, we we got connected with you through Tim Saucer, the the person who we just rolled his topic on the table. (laughs) He had mentioned that you'd be a great guest and uh, he'd been talking about you for a little bit. So I'm glad that we can finally get get you on the podcast Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and I'm going to do kind of a leading question. Um, I know that you were involved with UConn, the uh, convention that happens nearby.
0: That's right. Um, By day, I'm a software engineer, and by night, I'm an organizer for UConn. I've been doing that for quite a long time. Folks who go to the convention might know me if they're a GM because my name shows up on registration and our social media a lot. So, um, yeah, UConn is UConn, U-C-O-N-Gaming.org. And we're gonna be holding an in-person convention if everything goes right in November. Oh,
2: fantastic. Mm-hmm. How big is UConn? So I, I have yet to come because I seem to like, well, I just had uh, had a baby last year, so it just wasn't good timing and <laughs> the little pandemic and stuff as well. Um, <laughs> excuses, excuses. Yeah, <laughs> how uh, Yeah. How big is
0: uh Well, pre-pandemic, our last convention was 1,150 people. Wow. So yeah, we're not—we're not small potatoes. We're not like Gen Con, but it's yeah. a pretty good size and it's a really good time. Big enough to have lots of different types of games.
2: So have you been with it since it was like tinier than that?
0: Yes and no. So the convention started in 1989. I've been with them since 2001-ish. I think I was a GM for a couple of years before that. We were—we were 500 people at the time. So it was yeah. smaller, but it's grown since we knew, moved into our new venue in Ypsilanti, Eagle Crest, or the Ann Arbor Marriott Ypsilanti at Eagle yeah. Crest. You have to say it like they do.
1: So how did you get involved with UConn to begin with? You said you were a GM for a while, and then at some point you stepped up into kind of a leadership role?
0: Yeah, my um, I got into involved with UConn the same way I got involved with uh, gaming in general, um, and that's my sister. You know, she gave me my first magic cards. Uh, She brought me to the gaming club at the university. And then uh, she encouraged me to go to the convention, which had recently split off from the gaming club organization. And then I started hanging out with with those folks and joined the team and never looked back.
1: Does UConn have like a a flavor or a, a style that is a little bit unique to it, do you think? What's the kind of atmosphere at UConn?
0: Yeah, my, my pitch is that we are a boutique gaming convention, so <laughs> we, um, we are small enough to be intimate that you might actually have a shot at meeting the guests of honor. You know, we, we put their events up on the website and they, they sell out just like every other event. So um, if you want to meet a guest, oh, you can also like, join us in the bar at like 11 o'clock every night because they just hang out and chat with everyone. They're so personable.
2: Oh, that's so great. Imagine that's a little bit different at like Gen Con, for example. Like there's <laughs> there's probably tenders and minders for every Yeah, every pay $20
0: yeah. for a headshot and, uh, yeah. and never meet them in a game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I imagine all the guests of honor are, you know, special and wonderful to have. Is there anyone that has showed up as a guest of honor that was like especially meaningful or neat for you based on your personal experience?
0: So I was con chair several times in one year. Uh, We had Sid Meier of Sid Meier's Civilization come. Oh, Um, wow. His kid was attending the university at the time, and we got connected up. Um, And so I got to play rock band with Sid Meier. It was so (laughs) cool.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Who's on deck for this year, assuming that the con is able to take place?
0: because of the pandemic, we've made the choice not to have Game Masters this year, but we've got a couple of people cooking for next year, but I can't share yet.
1: That's
2: great. <laughs> Stay <good>. tuned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you you run games yourself, right? Um, and so you, you had mentioned when we were just chatting over email that you ran a very long came, campaign of East Texas University.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay.
2: So I looked that up because I was like, I think that's a, like actual university, right? <laughs> As well, or... no, it's totally
0: fictitious. Okay. So it's a okay. It's a campaign setting for the Savage Worlds system by these these folks. Uh, their company was Twelve to Midnight. I think that's who still uh, who still owns it. Um, so it's basically imagine Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but set mm-hmm. in a college town in Texas. You know, and mm-hmm. it's got all those Texas flavors. Uh, you know, barbecue and football. <laughs> And, you know, you can walk around carrying guns and weapons, so that makes it yeah. feel a little bit more like d d in that sense.
2: <laughs> that sounds so fun. And you also, you had mentioned that it was a multi-year campaign as well, right?
0: Yes, I took them through freshman year, through through senior year. Um, nice. Okay. With, um, it was mostly original content. All of the major arcs were original content, but the 12 to Midnight folks put out these one-pager modules. That's like as much module as i really want and so i would find places to work them into the story
1: um, Mm -hmm.
0: just to to have a little bit of extra material take a little bit of load off sometimes
1: did you know when you started the campaign that you were likely to run you know all four years of the character's college experience that's a wonderful framework for a game i think
0: yeah that was totally the goal even though i just ended the campaign uh with their senior year in january I am thinking about going back and doing oh you know one year after adventure. Yeah. The people love this game so much they don't want to let go of these characters. So I'm yeah. trying to trying to think of a way to to do that.
1: Well, you've got like five year reunion and ten year reunion and lots of yeah. excuses to get them back together, right?
0: Yeah. Well, they one of them ended up becoming a fairly powerful magic user. And okay. they dealt with portal magic in the last season, so they've decided that they have spread to the ends of the earth, and they get together with portals. And so I am positive that I can come up with some reason that draws them back together.
2: <laughs> yeah, they,
0: they all they all ended up pairing off as well, so it's they can go save one of the significant others, you know.
2: That's great, Laura. I, I have some concerns that maybe they didn't do so well in their senior year at college, though. <laughs> Did they?
0: <laughs> well, they? Did they get grades? <laughs> You would you would you would think that they definitely had some issues with that. <laughs> yeah. One of the players decided to take their major as law enforcement. Nice. <laughs> so all of their activities felt right in line with that.
1: I don't know much about East Texas University as a game, but how much of like a typical game was like adventure stuff and how much of it was dealing with the mundanities of college, the college experience. Like it's neat that they got to pick majors and stuff like how much did you dig into that sort of stuff
0: yeah i mean the game is built around balancing those things so um they have mechanics for taking midterms and finals Um, (laughs) that's great i loved incorporating class into the story because i mean if it's not if there's not class in the story, then you really don't feel like you're in college. Actually, that's mm-hmm. a funny point. Um, two of my players never went to college, and so this was their college experience. Oh, so, yeah. yeah
2: uh, <laughs> it,
0: at the beginning, there was a lot of uh, college experience. A pep rally featured into the first episode lots of football games one of the players was a his character did football so um Mm -hmm. so yeah there was a lot of college experience in there although I think as it kind of progressed toward the end there was a major plot that had very little to do with college Mm -hmm. um and so we we would ebb and flow
2: it's sort of like the Harry the Harry Potter problem of like Hogwarts is very magical and stuff but if you just have them in class all the time it's gonna be super boring (laughs)
0: right well I, yeah. one of the things that i loved was was bringing in um characters for you to play off of so like mm-hmm. there were you know the sorority chicks the sorority girls were like a major uh thing and they would come in and you would do like the one upmanship with the clothes right <laughs> and um and oh i went to the football game how are you and i got to do my valley girls sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I <love
1: Nice>. that. <laughs> are you planning another campaign or have you already started of something else after east texas university
0: I haven't decided what to run with that group, but I have a different group. <laughs> they have overlapping members where I'm running a, a game called Part Time Gods.
2: Okay. What is that?
0: It's in the flavor of like the Lucifer TV show or like the American Gods TV show, where it's mm-hmm. just very powerful, godlike people, supernatural people walk around the earth and have to deal with mundane threats as well as mystical threats it's like part-time so the mechanics in the game are all about i have to go deal with this monster that's rising up out of the river except that my uh, mother wants me to have dinner with the family Um, (laughs) or my sister uh landed in jail for some reason and i gotta go bail her out. just back and forth um you know lots of stuff to to intermix it's a little bit like the same reason i like east texas
2: that's really good. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to transition us into our topic because I think this is actually, this is a pretty good segue into it. <laughs> so it seems like you are constantly sort of in the games that you're interested in balancing like all these different levity and action and drama, right? Like you, <laughs> you're bouncing between all of them. So like when you are structuring one of these sessions, you sit down and say like, okay, like we need to make sure that there's, there's a, you know, there's a midterm test. We need to make sure that there's a, um, you know, I don't know, like another portal wizard who shows up. Like, yeah, like how do you you manage to get sort of all that into a session or a campaign?
0: Oh, that's a super broad question because I I I don't think about structuring a story like that. Um, Oh, okay, yeah. If you want to structure a story, you go to the three-act thing. So, you know, an introduction, a middle section, and then a big ending, right? So Mm -hmm. somewhere in there, there's going to be some college life going on if we're talking about East Texas and then there's so many opportunities for comedy in college life like the yeah you know interacting with um, a nerd or a socially different person versus interacting with a football player versus interacting all those things are different and they're different opportunities for some levity
1: <laughs> yeah we talk from time to time on the show about the idea of kind of adventure slapstick as the default uh, tone of an awful lot of games that we've run and played in. I have uh, something of like the opposite problem in the campaign I'm running now, which is a kind of a dark a military fantasy campaign using the Band of Blades system and um that one there's not a lot of levity at all in that and I've lately been thinking especially after a really grim uh game uh, a few weeks ago I've been thinking like how can I make this a little bit more like just lighthearted without tanking the tone of the game which is dark military
2: I mean from what I know a Band of Blades right they're they're sort of on a death march across a continent yes right okay so there probably isn't a whole lot of like. I mean, could you insert Tom Bombadil? Like, <laughs> just exactly. give him a little breather. <laughs> right.
1: Well, yeah, it would. the The humor yeah. would probably have to come from unusual characters or situations that I kind of threw in their path because mm-hmm. you know most of what they're doing is kind of deadly serious um, for the most part. Um, but mm-hmm. it is, it is nice. It is interesting to have that problem because normally I, you know, I I am running that adventure slapstick sort of thing where it's mm-hmm. kind of serious, but it gets jokey real quick
0: yeah see I know people love Tom Bombadil I do not oh <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. he felt like an interruption to everything so I don't know yeah. if I was going to suggest something I I would find some levity in the misery of the situation you know like, yeah it's been raining I'm soaked um I just I have blood all over me you know something something like that or somebody making a Shakespeare reference in the middle of that like out damn spot out right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. So one thing that the players brought that I didn't plan that has brought some laughter into the game is uh, they've been nicknaming everything. So we aren't <laughs> using like the, the book's official name for like the different monsters they run into. And they also are usually adventuring. They usually have like a, a pack of rookie soldiers along with them. And any t- when a rookie distinguishes him or herself, like in a game session, they usually get a nickname. And it's usually something <laughs> like something fairly funny. So... Yeah. You know, it's still deadly serious, but you do get, you know, you laugh when the name comes up and then you move on. Um, do the
0: do the characters, like, know modern references?
1: They, so far, they've been not being too anachronistic about it. So it's mostly been, I guess, setting appropriate stuff so far.
0: Oh, I don't know mm-hmm. the setting. So is it, it's, oh, it's not, it's it's not like, like a modern it's like
1: medieval fantasy setting.
0: One of the advantages of E.T.U. since it's modern is they are happy to bring in pop culture references, and so a lot of our levity is pop culture. I'm like they'll they will pick some music that I loved as a kid, and they'll be like, "That's so old; it's our parents' stuff because of college and Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. So is that set in like, yeah, 2021? Is is that like the, the time period?
0: Oh, you can set it when you want, but it, okay. uh, like yeah. some people will set it in the eighties. Um, but yeah. I, I did, uh, you know, with the time. So I started in 2016.
2: This is a, a non-sequitur, but, um, I just watched Fear Street 1994 last night. It's a new horror movie. It's out on, uh, Netflix right now, but, so it's set in 1994, which is interesting to me because, um, like, that's sort of like when I was growing up, right? I, I, I align with the, the '90s kid idea, right? But we we haven't gotten a lot of movies about the '90s quite yet. Like we, get, everybody sets it in the '80s, right? But like so the '90s. So the soundtrack was all this like really great like mid '90s music that like I used to listen to on the radio all the time. It was very like comforting, even, comforting to hear a soundtrack like that, even though it was, um you know, like people were dying left and right. <laughs>
1: How heavy did East Texas University get? Did your campaign get? The way you've described it, I do. you mentioned Buffy. So I think of Buffy. I've only watched maybe half of that show's run. But from what I watched, that's there's like a level of like or irony or, or like kind of meta, some goofiness lurking behind most of that.
0: They've talked, uh, the writers have talked about the fact that they, they write the show where the monsters are a metaphor for some aspect of life. Okay. I did that a couple of times. I don't know that I did it all the time. But I- you know, the, the thing for me about role playing games um, and especially when you have a campaign rather than like a one shot around a convention table is that you can make it really, really personal to the characters. Mm-hmm. So um, when I had a new character come in and the other characters weren't quite really jiving with that new character, I said, let's do a field trip adventure. Huh. Right. <laughs> so they had Thanksgiving in New York. Um, the character in question is Val. And so they went to New York to meet Val's rich parents and hang out with her church friends and then find out that she lived a life of crime and her, um, the person who got her into that life shows up and you're like, Mm. "Uh oh, and then it turns out he's in with the church and he's all good. And she's like, something's going on. And so we had a whole adventure that revolved around her backstory and Mm. they loved it it was so personal to them Um, but where i was going with this is that one of the characters ended up murdering a human and was so upset about that as a character like oh my god i committed murder that we ended up having an entire session that was just the characters dealing with the fact that they had hap that that had happened it was hmm. an entire episode with no action. It was just one-on-one scenes where people were getting their feelings out. And it was, it was very, very almost cathartic, um, very yeah. emotional.
2: So that was pretty, pretty high in drama, I would imagine. Did you, were you facilitating that? Or is that something that they started to decide that they wanted to have these conversations?
0: You know, I had been running plot, 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 because that's what I usually do. And mm-hmm. we had just kind of recognized that there was all this stuff building up. Um, and so there needed to be attention release. Um, -hmm. so we had to have that all come out through the game and, and that's how it ended up working out.
2: I found whenever I have a dramatic moment, it is usually after, after some sort of event has happened. And when I have those, I often just like ask pretty directly to them. Right. So going back to that, the concept of having like this default of slapstick comedy, I think people will stay there unless you challenge them a little bit. Not challenge, that makes it seem more like therapy. Just like, <laughs> like, let's explore this different different aspect of of the adventure, you know, the narrative that we're doing. But like, I think most people really enjoy doing that now and then. Yeah, having that session, we're just like, yeah,
1: let's do some emotional character work.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really fun. As long as it doesn't turn into therapy, I'm here yeah. with that.
1: Do you guys have any go-to tricks or gimmicks that you pull out if maybe... Things are getting a little too serious in tone or they something there needs to be a shakeup of some sort. You know, like there's the I think it's Raymond Chandler's writing advice was to have uh, people kick in the door and start shooting anytime he got uh, stuck on a scene. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna say, um, I can always count on one of my players to just be over the top um with flirtation to incense somebody off and um and start something that way. But yeah, yeah, I follow that rule of if, if things get too boring, if a scene's dragging out, then it's really time to inject some action or force the players to act. Or sometimes as a game master I would, you know, hint, all right, you've learned everything you can. It's really time to move on. What's your plan?
2: <laughs> that pretty direct, like, there, there's no more information here. Yeah, Right.
0: <laughs> but there's also, like, everything. in East Texas, they had a uh, professor who, you know, kind of knew who they were and would work with them. So, you know, a phone call from the professor could always kick things into action.
1: Mm-hmm. When you guys – and. Chris, feel free to answer, too. I don't mean to just be bombarding you, Laura, with our questions here. So when you guys are running a game, how much advance planning do you do, like, about kind of the pace and the tone of the game? Like, do you think, okay, the first couple of sessions here... Are going to be pretty serious, and it's going to get dark and grim. But then, you know, maybe three sessions in, we're going to s- switch and do something a little bit more lighthearted. And then, do you think that far ahead? Are you able to think that far ahead based on the way you kind of plan your games, or do you just uh, react uh, moment to moment based on how the players are doing? I
2: feel like I should answer because you said that I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have a great answer for this. Uh, I mean, like. It, Honestly, like, I mean, I mostly run one shots these days. And so with those, I do script out a little bit, like I I script out the points that I want to hit throughout the evening, um, pretty tightly. So we're always sort of aiming towards something. Cause I think like one shots have a tendency to, to end up like you just like the plot sort of like blows up and then you don't accomplish what you want (laughs) like that. So I think you have to take a bit of a firmer hand with those. I mean, I'm, I'm completely fine doing that um, as well. I think some people are like, well, that's, you know, it's sacred that you let the players do whatever they want. It's like, well, but we want to tell a story too.
1: <laughs> so Chris, so, thinking back, you ran yeah. like a, a lunchtime game for a really long time mm-hmm. for yeah. some coworkers. You know, did yeah. you, were you planning each session, you know, the night before you ran it? Or did you have charted out what was going to happen so you could kind of guide and nudge the tone of the game as it went along the with that
2: game i quickly realized that like a, a lunchtime session like you really only end up having 45 minutes or so after you kind of take take into account <laughs> you know getting set up and taking down and stuff like that I, I quickly realized that any of my plans that were longer than a half an hour were just gonna is was a waste of time mm-hmm. so what i would do is i'd plan like the one or two things that like we were gonna do in that session and try to hit those and then also the idea was always to do something interesting, whether it be a battle or some sort of role playing scene or shopping, what have you, and then a cliffhanger as much as possible. So we're always sort of shooting for a cliffhanger, shooting for a cliffhanger. Oh, like so cruel!
0: Cool. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what well, The advantage there is when we got back together the next session, which was usually the next week like that, we could be like, this is exactly where we are because you've either been thinking about it or I can very quickly explain like you've just launched this friendly NPC up into the air with a levitate spell. I'll see you next week. You know, like that was, you know, it was always something along those lines.
0: When I'm planning, I plan in season arcs. So I created a theme for the first season of East Texas, uh, which was witches versus werewolves. So there was a major, there was a core conflict that I knew kind of, um, a basics of between a group of witches in the sorority house and um, a werewolf because one of them had accidentally killed one of the other ones and it just resulted in this major conflict so everything in the story every major event kind of fell from that one thing so I had hmm. this big arc but in terms of adventures I didn't plan out more than one or two sessions because I really wanted the characters to kind of drive this like they would tell me we're really interested in getting to know this professor and so then that was the way that we attacked the story and then like they met the sorority sisters and they're all like haughty and whatnot so um so they became obviously the adversary um so they kind of fell in that way but then the most dramatic thing for me is to have somebody that you think you can trust and then they break your trust and so i always have those kind of reversals and feeling where you maybe maybe it goes the other way and then your enemy becomes your ally and the whole thing is mm. is transient and back and forth so i have like this point in the distance where i'm always heading with a campaign but moment to moment i don't actually necessarily know how i'm gonna get there
2: yeah
1: did you find that your players did it take much work to get them to grasp the tone of what you're going for with the game
0: you know, they set the tone because okay. uh, I mean, I talked about some of our levity, but a lot of our levity was these are college kids and they're all uh, having sex with each other. So <laughs> there was a lot of uh, aggressive flirting, uh, a lot of, you know, innuendo jokes. Um, so, <laughs> so they kind yeah. of set that tone, but you know, as soon as a monster showed up, they'd be like, oh, we got to deal with this. I, I was really thankful. One of my players took um, the disadvantage uh if you can call it a disadvantage of heroic it's so nice as a game master to have that person at the table that's like yes let's put ourselves in danger to save this innocent person yeah (laughs) good way to get the action going
2: i was just thinking about you you'd mentioned the having those reversals and stuff like that your your ally ends up being your enemy that sort of thing like i'm i'm a sucker and i fall for that every single time like my gm listens to this podcast now and then anytime he does it it's just like Yep. Well, I'm hook, please, line, and sinker. I...
0: Please fall for that because I mean, yeah. If you if you never trust anything, then you know the story just is kind of bland, right? Yeah. You know the yeah. You, to put some emotion into it, you gotta you gotta end up trusting something, or at least pretend that you trust something, and then and it's okay when it falls apart because I'm I'm not out to get you. I'm here to have fun with <laughs> you. I've also, um, have you folks used X cards?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, at conventions, yeah.
0: I've sort of used that flavor and even the home group for uh, various various reasons, but it can be really handy for someone to make it clear what's really bothering them and why they're not engaging. Yeah, I don't think any of my ET players uh, really have anything taboo, but I was I was definitely in um, a convention game, and actually I'm the one who said some things that were kind of offensive in the moment, and somebody else X-carded me, and I just immediately apologized, and we moved on. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think the like the the presence of it is helpful. I think just to set the tone of it's okay if there's something that you don't like, and I think that that helps people be more mindful. What I found, oftentimes when I'm introducing the X card, I usually introduce it along with something that like would be would be something that I would pull it on. Like there's a few things like for me that it's just like it's very important, like that we're not going to do this. Like so, it's I think that's helpful to set that. That's um, yeah, set it up that way. Um, yeah, so we've talked about uh, like a lot of different. Different parts of this question, I guess. Is there anything else that anyone wanted to to bring up that you're thinking about?
0: How much do you guys use action in your games?
2: A lot, quite a bit, <laughs> I, yeah. I would say I use action to drive to plot points. If that makes sense, like it, action is rarely interesting to me if it's just action for the sake of it. To me, it's always like it's driving you towards sort of the next the next narrative point.
0: Yeah. When I ran D and D, I used to have a formula where I would do three combats. Like an mm-hmm. intro combat, uh, kind of a setup for a reversal combat, and then a final battle. But it just got to be too, too much. And now the style of role-playing games, I like, don't really lend themselves uh, to having that many combats in a session. So now it tends to be just mm-hmm. like one, usually a big fight at the end.
2: Yeah, I've like I, I played D&D, you know, a little bit. I, you know, I've played a lot of different systems and stuff. And I, I find myself like thinking about running D&D again and the combat being the part that i'm not super excited about because like it's just it's not the part that i'm i'm interested in right now right I, I, that could change um some well, that's why i don't really I...
0: play play D anymore because it yeah the system is so focused around the combat but that's the least interesting part of role-playing to me
1: i've found running band of blades and then playing in other games that use that system that as a gm i really appreciate the structure that it has, like it has a really clear structure of like you spend a certain amount of time doing like a traditional RPG style, you know, kind of d and ish mission. And then you spend the second half of your session doing a sequence of other non-combat stuff. So like there's bookkeeping, there's planning for future missions and things like that. Uh, and some of those things include, you know, like do a role playing moment at this point. And I'm not used to playing games that are quite so structured, but I've come to really appreciate it. And when mm-hmm. we play, to, we typically play two hours at a time, and I do my best to. You know, the mission usually goes for, like, about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, and about, I try to reserve that last 45 minutes to make sure we hit all of the other stuff, because the mission just almost inevitably tends to be really combat and action-focused.
2: Yeah, I never really put that together, because, like, so I've run Blades in the Dark, which is a similar game to Band of Blades, um, you know, same, same general setup, but, like, all this the stuff that feels, feels kind of, like, superfluous, right, if you're coming from D&D and stuff like that, all the bookkeeping and stuff... Like, to me, that was the best part of the game. Like, I almost didn't really enjoy the, the actual encounters that much. It was, like, it was the, like, the after effects of that. Like, okay, like, lots of bad stuff just happened to you. Like, how are you going to recover from that? You know, and, like, then that's when we could tease
1: apart some story stuff. One thing that's helpful about, like, for instance, bandit Plates, and sorry that I'm constantly talking about that game.
0: But yeah, that's what is... you're running right now. So. <laughs> the check is in the mail. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> that that downtime period, it contains a lot of decision points. Like, the players have to make important decisions during that time so it's not like a just free role-playing time there's hard decisions that have to be made they just don't tend to be they just aren't actiony or combat
2: okay so it's probably about time to wrap up the conversation Laura this was really great you have completely sold me on East Texas University I don't know if that was your intent or not but (laughs) I want to play that game so bad
0: you can check out the uh six episodes that I ran which was basically a condensed version of the first season that I ran for my players Oh, okay uh, the, yeah the, the pod um, the the YouTube uh, through untold stories project
2: cool yeah um we'll throw a link to that in the um the show notes as well so yeah I know yeah, link to Yukon which speaking of Yukon like as so what are the what are the dates again? can you could go over those for people yeah. who want to participate
0: November nineteen to twenty one uh, at the Annabararia Ypsilanti hotel at Eagle Crest.
1: yeah <laughs> I'm just remembering. Like I saw for like years that one of the East Texas University books at my friendly local gaming store, and I think it's gone now. I think someone bought it, but I'm kicking myself for not checking it out. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I'm gonna have to scurry yeah. over there uh, this weekend and see if they still have a copy.
0: The PDFs yeah. are very affordable.
1: And is it just one? Uh, is it just one rule book or a? Uh,
0: there is a rule book, and there is—and I didn't buy this the first time, but a friend picked it up at a flea market for me. The Degrees of Horror. Uh, this is a campaign book. It's got a—it's got a major campaign arc for all four years of school, and wow. then it's got a bunch of individual universe uh, individual adventures, so you can kind of flavor it however you want. There's definitely a lot of room to put your own spin on it, though, because if you go with the pace that Savage Worlds encourages you to do, experience. Then you definitely need to create your own uh, your own filler. Um, although they have mm. a ton of content available that you can you know pay five bucks and get those one pager episodes mm. that I mentioned. Those are really really fun to watch to run
1: yeah so chris i pitched uh band of blades and we've learned a lot about east texas university but you haven't like really sold us on a game so far in this episode so <laughs> it's your turn do I, do I come on you? let's hear <laughs> let's hear a pitch for something uh, that
2: okay it's my uh my my giant heartbreaker <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna fix D. <laughs> gonna fix DD
1: does it have like hundreds of classes and uh oh it has thousands of classes. thousands of classes like, okay i yeah, gotta make
2: sure that it's it's yeah
1: and the most realistic uh, no i don't combat. i don't
2: have anything yeah, I don't have anything to pitch right now. I mean, other than like I mean Blades in the Dark is great, right? Like it's been a been a while since we talked about Blades in the Dark. Well, <laughs> what are you I running guess. right now? Um I'm not running anything right now. because I've got the I've got the baby. Um so that's that's, that's stuff. And then we're all,
1: Yeah.
0: I took a hiatus when my kids were born.
1: Yeah. <laughs> are you planning something? I mean, every GM has always got a campaign that they're noodling about, even when they are not actively running.
2: Yeah, it's the same one that I've been noodling about for a while. Like I have this, this big, this is probably also a heartbreaker, this big, like, I want to do a sort of shared collaborative world building game to start with and then run some individual stories within, within that.
0: Like Powered by the Apocalypse?
2: yeah like that but probably a little bit more more homebrew and we might actually jump around between systems as well depending on what what sorts of stories we want to tell i don't know if it'll ever come together i think the the first part of it might come together the actual like the world building uh, the world building part of it So we've got some really fun ideas for um drawing a map together and stuff we'll see i i don't, I don't know when it's going to happen we um we're planning a small convention for the people that have been on the podcast so that's coming up pretty soon so that's where a lot of my focus is, and then after that's done, then maybe I'll have all sorts
1: of energy and time to. to vote. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> right, life won't throw anything at. If there's anything we've learned in the last year and a half, it's that. Yeah, it's all just,
2: smooth sailing yeah. once you get past that that next thing. That's right. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. Well. Well. Thank you, Laura, for coming on. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's it. Andy, is there anything else that we should should mention?
1: Uh, so we do have a tradition of oh, uh, right. asking guests if they're willing to replace the topic that we rolled with a topic of their choosing. So you don't have to, Laura, if you don't feel like it. But if you have... uh, Okay. Oh, okay. Let's hear it.
0: So it's just an honor of the convention. I would say the differences uh, as a game master in running a one-shot versus running a campaign. How do you do that differently?
2: That's great. Great question. All right, we will replace that on the table. Okay. Someone else will have to to answer it ah, <laughs> um, giving
0: someone else a chore
2: that's right yes of course everybody who adds a adds a topic to the table gets this like this this glint in their eye they're like so excited to make someone else talk about it <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: yeah well, i want to hear what uh, other people think about that yeah
2: <laughs> all right well let's wrap it up there um yeah again uh, thank you laura um i've been chris salzman
1: i've been andy Rowe.
2: and remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm